This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball week number three of the 2023 minor league season is here tyler mon sam dykstra benjamin hill i'm out of early show momentum how are you guys <laughs> you could see the train slowing down as it came to the station it, that was that was truly a feat my face got that. like very tired i'm sure as i as i did that oh how are you guys it's good to see you no, it's good. Yeah, it's it's it feels like we're fully in the season now. It's not like guys are debuting anymore. We we know where everybody is, where they're starting the year, how they're doing. The sample size is increasing. We're seeing guys like Andrew Abbott strike out thirty six batters and fifteen and a third innings. It's pretty it's good. Kind of been crazy in some of that respects. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit later about some of the guys who got called up. We can do that in the final segment. Guys like Mason Miller and Brett Beatty now getting called up, not opening the year in the op- on the opening day roster in the major leagues, but shoving enough on the mound or hitting the ball hard enough at AAA to be like, no, I need to be in the majors now. It's you know we're fully into it, and it's been kind of fun to see, uh, at least from an on field perspective. But Ben, I mean, all these promotions we've been talking about. In the offseason are now actually being rolled out too. Yeah, there's a lot happening. But first, Sam, I want to say that every prospect you just mentioned had an alliterative name. Now, Brett Beatty and Mason Miller, yeah. Yeah, and even before that, who was the first guy? Uh, AA. Oh, Andrew Abbott. Yeah. 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 So I'm wondering if you maybe have a subconscious bias that needs to be actively checked to make sure you're not prioritizing the alliterative over whatever the word is for non alliterative. Well, that's probably just the word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, yes, uh, the season is happening. There's a lot going on every day. Um, you know, it's funny. You know how, in a in a broader sense, you know, you've lived a lot of years. You go through life, and then when it's hot, you know, the first really warm spring day, there's still this sense of like, oh wow, I'd like almost forgotten this. And you're like, how could I be surprised? This happens every year. And I feel like it's the same thing with like the baseball season in general. You know what to expect. You've done it a long time, but then there's still this element of like, oh whoa. Oh, huh. Here it is. And uh, you know, definitely have had that feeling right now. Um, getting in the rhythm of, you know, writing stories about promos, what's going on, the newsletter. Um, I still have not solidified some road trip plans, but I've got some itineraries together. Hopefully that's something we can talk about next week because I do plan to uh get out and do some visits starting uh not too deep into May. Um, so I want to get out there and actually witness some of the stuff we're talking about and just witness, you know the minor league baseball experience in general and uh, do the Ben's biz thing. So yeah, it does feel good. There's a lot going on and uh, we're not just talking about what will happen. We're talking about what is happening is currently happening. I want to point out Cam Collier uh, has a 440 OBP. So man, if we're staying on theme here, well, I think this is a good uh, article idea for you down the line, the all alliterative prospect team. 
<laughs> with an audience of about five people. Well, but you know, those five people are really going to enjoy it. And that's... man, none of us is really set for a good season then. Benjamin Hill, Sam Dykstra, Tyler. Mar- I guess Josh Jackson's. Yeah, Josh Jackson, there he, he is. is set R-F-E-P, to go. Josh okay, Jackson. All right, it is that makes definitely sense. his time to shine. We've been waiting for a breakout year from Josh for quite some time. Twenty twenty three is it. We know it. You all just wait for the uh, run of Ghosts of the Miners episodes to come from Josh Jackson here as uh, we welcome you into this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us as well, at Ben's Biz, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Tyler Mon. if you want to get in touch. Questions, thoughts, comments, concerns about minor league baseball or whatever else you want to chat about. We can talk about alliterative names if uh, if that's your bag. People say that it is mine. That's your bag. Is it 1968? Who has Robin Roberts takes? <laughs> all right, guys. Well, let's dive in. Um, last week, Ben and I talked a little bit about some of the newest and greatest and most exciting food items in minor league baseball. And there are not one, but two stories up on the site at MILB.com of uh, some of the, the culinary highlights around the minor leagues this year. I got to say, Ben. Some teams do a better job with the food photography than others, but I would still crush all of this food. I will say, like, there are definitely, you can look at some of the pictures posted and think, like, oh, this is somebody who knows how to make this, you know, this pretzel look uh, very appetizing. And others that, I I wouldn't know how to take pictures of food. I'm not good at that. But it all sounds amazing. Uh, Give us some of the the highlights. Yeah, this is no uh, ranch house of... um milled food content this is two stories there are levels here there are stairs to take um yeah two stories uh just because you know through the off season i'm compiling a lot of things and new food was one of them and i just wanted to get out as much possible as i could into the world so there's no particular rhyme or reason in terms of like what food uh item appears where just trying to to highlight some uh interesting things all throughout minor league baseball um you know, I'll start with one that's not in either story because it's a late-breaking item. I just got an email about it yesterday, but one of the ones that's gotten you know more attention than most so far, the Canapolis Cannonballers, Baller Buster. Now, I asked people online or on Twitter yesterday, you know, would they eat this? And you know, maybe it's a self-selecting group that answered, but people are really excited about this. But this is intense, and it it, it spurs my usual. Uh, you know, ambivalence about minor league baseball food and that like, I do like to eat meat, but sometimes I'm like, what am I promoting here? This is just, this is just crazy. But this is what it is. A foot long brat stuffed inside a foot long hot dog topped with Philly meat, which I assume is, you know, you should know, you would know better than anybody on this podcast. But no one calls it Philly meat in Philadelphia. They just call it meat, you know, just like you don't call Long Island iced tea. They just call them iced tea. Yeah. I'll have a nice tea. Oh my God. Wait, this tastes. Why am I so drunk? <laughs> yeah, it's been a problem on that on Long Island for a long time. I do um, have a buddy from Detroit who gets very mad when I talk about Detroit style pizza. It's like, it's just pizza. There's no Detroit yeah. style pizza. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. There is. No, no, there is. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. But before we got derailed, a foot long broth stuffed inside a foot long hot dog topped with Philly meat, peppers, onions, cheese, jalapenos, and spicy brown mustard. Um, you know, it's tough to talk about food to an extent on a audio only medium. Because Here's my you know, one question about that. How do you stuff one foot long meat item into another that's the same size? Shouldn't it be a like a question. smaller brat stuffed into a larger well, hot dog? Well, it's not or vice stuffed versa? like encased. The brat oh, is okay. split open 
and, and then, then they, the foot long hot dog, which is also split open, is you know, nestled it, inside it, of it. It's nestled inside. Nestled is a great word, and I couldn't come up with it. They're and spooning. Then, yes, they're spooning. And then <laughs> the hot dog is split open itself, and then okay. that's where the Philly meat and the rest of the toppings are. Uh, so that that is a big one um, for sure. Um, another kind of interesting one, and, and this is good, Winston-Salem Dash, which um, I don't think had too much of note in the food department for a lot of years. They went all out this year, unveiled something like 15 different items. Uh, and, and they have a unique take on a trend that I really started to notice last year, but it's been percolating for the last four or five years. But Flamin' Hot Cheetos um, is are just more and more popular as uh, concession items. I, I documented a Flamin' Hot Cheetos hot dog in San Antonio and a Flamin' Hot Cheetos brought in Hartford last season. The Winston-Salem Dash have what I believe to be, and I could be wrong here, but the first – where's my picture? There it is. The first uh, Flamin' Hot Cheetos corn dog. So that is something new. So if you want a corn dog, a foot long, I guess, you know, we're on a foot-long theme here so far, and a North Carolina theme. Um, a foot-long flaming Hot Cheetos corn dog. So that is definitely something unique. Uh, another thing unique they have is they have two kinds of dessert, potato ice cream and spaghetti ice cream, in which each of these dessert items looks like the item in question. Potato, a baked potato, or a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. So like the baked potato ice cream, it's cocoa-dusted vanilla ice cream in the shape of a potato with whipped cream to resemble sour cream and a lemon starbus, starburst that resembles a pat of butter. And, um, you know, that's unique, too. That is pretty I unique. mean, that's you talk about what Tyler was saying before of, like, things that don't do well in pictures sometimes, and it, but you would still eat it. This is, like, almost the opposite. It looks better as a picture. How is it to eat? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just vanilla ice cream with whipped cream, right? And like another candy on top. But yeah, it's essentially cocoa. I feel like dusting. you get this to take the picture and then post it on TikTok of you eating like, look at me getting baked potatoes at the, the ballpark. Just kidding. <laughs> psych. Psych. <laughs> do the kids still do psych? I feel like that might not be a TikTok thing. I, they got to. You got to always do psych. Um, it's part of the psych geist. Another one, this is something uh. that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is one, uh, an item that is kind of appeared sort of like a, um, you know, like a, a cicada or a comet through the years with various teams. But way back in 2010, Charleston River Dogs did a pickle dog and it went like viral at the time I featured in my blog, um, you know, where they, you know, would core out a big dill pickle, put coleslaw on it and then with the hot dog right in there with the hot dog serving as a bun. So this year it's the, uh, no coleslaw, but the Richmond flying squirrels have their take on a pickle dog called the big dill, the big dill dog. And it is a giant dill pickle sliced in two with a hot dog right in the center of it. And I did like in the uh, Richmond flying squirrels press release about their new food items, including this big dill dog, they called it a gluten-free alternative to a traditional hot dog. Now, I don't think it's the kind of item where a gluten-free person would be like, hey, you guys should serve pickle dogs because I'm gluten-free. But that's very much correct. And as a gluten-free individual myself, you know, with the iron, the added ironic layer of always talking about all these items that I don't really eat myself, but I would definitely eat a big dill dog or any sort of pickle dog 
in general because I like pickles and I need to be gluten free and I like creativity. So I'm on board with this. But pickles, I believe, are polarizing item in general. So some people see a pickle dog and they're just like, that is disgusting. And others are like, oh, that looks awesome. You guys have strong takes on something like a pickle dog one way or the other. No, I, I, I generally like pickles. So I think the idea of that just being like, do you like relish on your hot dog? It's not the first thing I'll go to, but if it's already on there, I'll, I'll add it. Like it's, it's adds a little bit of saltiness to the, to the dish there. I, I, it would not be my first choice, but I'm not anti it whatsoever. I'm into it. I think it sounds all right. I would try um, it if we, if we sat around and said, hey, let's have some pickle dogs. I also, you know, last, we year, <laughs> last year, I think I was on this podcast defending hot dog straw guy. Like, I don't, however you want to enjoy your food, enjoy your food. I'm fine with it. Whatever. I like pretty much all food. I'm not going to get mad at somebody for, it may be a little unorthodox to jab a straw through a hot dog and, you know, use the hot dog as a straw after that. But I'm not going to judge anybody. That, dill pickle dogs. Let's go for it. Make everything weird and delicious. All sounds Make fun. everything weird and delicious. I think uh, I think it's a good way to sum it up, and that's what I try to highlight. I mean, we could go on and on about the food. I have a lot of stuff highlighted, but, you know, check it out on MILB.com and in the Ben's Biz Beat newsletter as well. Subscribe on MILB.com to the Ben's Biz Beat newsletter. Unless there's any more food you guys want to talk about, I didn't mean to just say we're no. done here, but – it's the kind of thing you could just talk for hours about all this uh, ridiculous. And I'm sure we will, too. Like, somebody will announce something down the line that we're going to have to bring somebody on the podcast to talk about, like a singular item, like Crabzilla. If somebody wants to fold it into a, a uniform, as other teams have done before, I'm sure we'll be talking about that as the summer rolls along. Oh, yeah. It's just the start. Oh, there will be plenty of opportunities and the debut of new, uh, you know, alternate identities based on regional food and XYZ and blah, blah, blah. To totally go on a quick tangent, I talked about Winston-Salem and, and their new food items. Just today, they announced an alternate identity where they will be the hyphens because the Winston-Salem Dash are their real name. But I want a cut of this. I, call, I, used to call them, I used to call them the Winston-Salem hyphens or the Winston-Salem Dash every radio broadcast in the Carolina League. Somebody well, Winston-Salem owes me something. Yeah, maybe you were part of this because the, the Dash name was announced, I believe, back in 2009 or so. Yeah. And I remember on uh, Ben's Biz blog covering a Pelicans promo where they played Winston-Salem Dash and made it all snarky jokes about yep. how they were actually the We hyphens. called it Salute to Grammar Night. I think that was 2010, yes. I want to say. That was uh, the brainchild of our former promotions director, Maggie Neal, um, who now works for the PGA. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, Maggie wore a shirt. I will never forget. She wore a shirt that had a bunch of commas on it. And then a chameleon at the end, comma, 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 comma. five commas. And then- <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we called them the, uh, the Winston hyphen Salem dash over the public address system that night and everything. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fantastic. That was 20, either 2010 or 2011. I think it was 2010. Yeah. Back in the rugged old days when you could really, uh, really go hard on your opponent. We're all too soft and sensitive now to make grammar-related jokes at the expense of our <laughs> let's, let's bring culture wars to minor league baseball. Let's not. Grammatical, let's not. grammatical there are culture, culture wars. wars that are worth fighting. Culture wars only based on punctuation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it. that's what we're going with. Hey, um, if they want to play as like the M-dashes at some point, if somebody <laughs> incorporates a lot of M-dashes in his writing, I would be on board. Um. All right. Well, another front in the burgeoning minor league baseball culture war will one day be 
men and women versus the machines. Great. And uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is where we're headed now. Being somebody who has read enough creeped out stories by tech columnists about AI, I'm terrified of AI. Uh, sometimes I lie awake in a cold sweat and I get scared of what it's teaching itself. Uh, but evidently the other night, taught itself how to tweet a baseball game as the Pensacola Blue Wahoos uh, had artificial unintelligence night. This is back on Tuesday, the 18th of April, in which uh, they, I guess, paid tribute, kind of paid tribute um, to to AI. They had AI live tweet the game for them. Um, and it really is like AI is about as good at live tweeting sports as like the dorkiest um, sports Twitter um administrator that you could imagine like every tweet from ai is just so uh, womp womp. it's so dorky so i'm not real scared about ai in that context yet but this is a great promo idea yeah you know the blue wahoos um have, have done this kind of thing in the past last year they did a you know satirical homage to the nft craze where they gave away nfts of a quote-unquote disinterested primate you know instead of a Board ape. ape, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, they, they have fun with online trends. Obviously, AI is a huge trend. We don't have to get into what it you know forebodes for the the future of mankind, but clearly it is all joking aside, going to affect our lives in large and largely unknown ways. Um, so great, great premise for a minor league baseball team to just have a little bit of fun with it. So on this evening, Tyler, like you mentioned, all the in-game tweets were uh, written by AI, you know, based on prompts that broadcaster Eric Bremer gave them. And um, all the the entirety of the uh, PA announcements, the in-game ballpark script was also AI generated. And for a lot of that, they used uh, what Eric told me was a vaguely European voice. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> a little bit of French, a little bit of Italian. <laughs> vaguely yeah. European. <laughs> yeah, if I'm stereotyping, I imagine, you know, thinking of like, the band Kraftwerk and that kind of thing. I think of the AI voice as being German, you know, like I am a robot, that kind of thing. That's not, that was my version of Kraftwerk, but anyway, um, they're a German band, Never mind. But they, they had fun with it on both ways. Um, you know, talking to Eric Bremer, the broadcaster, you know, he had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, you know, it's funny. The first in-game tweet, the prompt they gave was after the Blue Wahoos uh, starting pitcher, Zach King struck out a batter. And so they say, hey, please do a tweet based on this this happening. And the, the AI generated tweet on the Blue Wahoo's account is, did you see that? Zach King just struck out a batter with his mind-blowing slider. Looks like his wizardry skills extend beyond vid- video editing. I'm like, what? His wizardry skills extend beyond video editing? This is a, a minor league pitcher who just struck out a guy. So I Google the name Zach King, and there is an editor known for his YouTube videos that feature, you know, magic and sleight of hand and deceptive editing. So he's a really well-known editor, Zach King. So AI just assumes that, oh, Zach King? Wow, that that YouTube video guy who edits videos is uh, also pitching for the Blue Wahoos tonight. So he put it, you know, they put it in. And uh, Eric told me they edited that tweet because the pitch was a slider, but the AI said it was a curveball. Sam disagrees that it was either of those pitches, but we, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But he, after that, he said, you know what? This is the premise of the promo. If something is wrong, we're just going to roll with it. So like when Victor Mesa hit a double in the fourth inning and it's and to lead off the fourth inning and the tweet said it was an RBI double in the seventh, 
so be it. But then here's a twist. That fourth inning double for Victor Mesa followed his his first inning single, and he went on to hit for a quote-unquote natural cycle, you know, going on to triple and then hit a home run uh, in order. So now you've got people paying more attention to your Twitter than otherwise might on a random Tuesday in April. And here's where the pressure was on, if not for the AI, at least for the team. Uh, but they actually, you know, Eric is like, you know what, this one was pretty normal. And thank goodness, because this is a tweet that, you know, actually got you know some traction and, and was retweeted and shared quite a bit. And it wasn't just totally ridiculous. Victor Mesa Jr. hits for the cycle. Siren emoji, fire, clapping hands emojis. History has been made as Victor becomes the second player in Blue Wahoo's history to hit for the cycle. What an incredible performance by the young star. Hashtag baseball history. Hashtag hitting for the cycle. So, hey, AI kind of nailed it with that one. But there was another prompt after um, a player hit an RB. Troy Johnston hit an RBI single. And uh, the prompt was, tweet about this, but make it punny. And here's the joke. Troy Johnston with a, quote, hit and run. He drives in a crucial run with an RBI single. Looks like he's a, quote, Johnston to be reckoned with on the field. What? That's not, that's not a pun. That doesn't make any sense. That's not a good joke. I also noticed that earlier on uh, in the evening, we all have crutches. You know, the three of us, we write or we talk or we do whatever for a living. We all have crutches. I've noticed that the AI also had a crutch because earlier in the evening, it referred to Victor Mesa Jr., later of the cycle, and said, Victor Mesa Jr. is on fire, fire emoji. He just extended his hitting streak to eight games with a clutch RBI double in the seventh inning, which obviously that didn't extend the hitting streak because of the had hit for the cycle by the seventh inning. He already had other hits, but then it said this young phenom is proving to be a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) Keep it up, Victor. So like, you know, vary your word choices. My favorite thing. So it really, all of these read as though they were like initially cheesy tweets in English that were translated into a different language and then back into English by like an auto, like they're just so awkwardly worded. Uh, And (laughs) this one is just the best to me. Quote, despite the Blue Wahoos trailing the Birmingham Barons 10 to 1, they're not giving up and are still putting in their best (laughs) effort. It takes resilience and determination to keep fighting until the final out. Let's cheer them on till the end. Hashtag never give up. Hashtag positive vibes. (laughs) What? What? Uh, Also, I like that it randomly will capitalize some of the words and hashtags, but not others. Like nothing is capitalized and never give up. Positive vibes, both positive and vibes are capitalized. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're coming for our jobs yet. Not yet. It's a brave new world out there. But, uh, you know, not to sound pretentious, but through the years, this is what I have liked almost the most about minor league baseball is that just things that are happening in real time when a minor league team responds you actually kind of can do, you know, a body of work or a collection of articles that really are reflective of this moment in time. And, and I really like that aspect of it. And so to do an AI promo at this era of uncertainty regarding the technology and have some fun with it, to me, that is the that's quintessential minor league baseball. And I hope to see more of this kind of thing, if not specifically AI, but you know, how can we just react and tweak and, and poke fun at things are going on in culture and technology. Uh, and the intersection thereof. Yeah, and I kind of like how real it was. Like, if you heard about there was an AI night at the ballpark, you might think, uh-oh, this is going to, this is the future. They're testing some stuff out. But no, it was like as raw as it came across. Like, it, there are mistakes here. There are some weird things about this. No team is going to look at this and be like, 
this is what we need to do now. Right, right. And it's it's poking fun at AI at the same time of like, this is the cheesy stuff that's going to come out of this. Uh, and, and that's what I appreciate. It was not wholly holding up AI of just being like, let's try to try this and try to get used to it. It's like, no, 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 this is silly. Let's just have a silly night on the Tuesday uh, in the Southern League. Yeah, but it will undoubtedly have practical applications in minor league baseball, you know, as it will the world at large. And an example of yeah. that is the Fresno Grizzlies uh, put out a press release and it might do an article on this to maybe kind of do a a, a small uh, you know, series of AI and minor league baseball articles. But the Fresno Grizzlies uh, became what they believe is the first team. They're having AI write their game recaps every single night now. Um and, you know, as writers, you know, all of us, I think the first instinct is like, no, like, you know, you crack open the door and then AI is going to bust it open and then we're all obsolete. But also, and Tyler knows this better than anyone, just from the perspective of what broadcasters and other people in the press box have to do every night to get out the door. If a task that takes an hour plus in terms of writing and, you know, getting it published and disseminating and blah, 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 can be done in 15 minutes. That's yeah. that's hard to say no to. Yeah, that is a big thing. The the university that I work for here, same thing, uh, has automatically generated recaps, which, uh, you know, yeah, very good when they work. But they also they do come with their own foibles. You know, we had a situation where things were entered into the scoring software wrong, and so it wrote up a completely incorrect recap uh, that had to be redone. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how those things all evolve as the. The years go along, and uh, eventually when the robot AI wars commence, we can look back on this episode and think, ah, oh, that's where it started. Yeah, well, we'll be dead. <laughs> We're not lasting I, I plan long. on being Neo in the Matrix. I don't know about you guys. But... I never saw it. Never saw the wow. Matrix. Never, never saw it. Wow, I thought that was going to get way more of a reaction. No, I mean... Damn, I, I thought you would be indignant. No, I've only seen it once, and I haven't oh, seen okay. the sequels, so... <laughs> Yeah, the sequels are abysmal. I walked out of the second one. One of maybe only two times in my life I walked out of the theater. Wow. But anyway, yeah, I just was like, this is not what I signed up for. That first one was cool. <laughs> this is just some bloated, incomprehensible sci-fi nonsense. First one had, had style. That's the tagline for this podcast. Bloated, incomprehensible sci-fi nonsense. The show before the show. Yeah, AI generated. <laughs> Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz. He's on Instagram at the Ben's Biz. You can, of course, find everything at milb.com slash Ben's Biz. And uh, we are excited for our conversation on this week's episode of the show as we head back to the International League in AAA. Ben, tee it up for us. Yeah, AAA Charlotte Knights, uh, who operated their operate out of their beautiful downtown home of Truist Field. They have done a Negro League tribute night every year since 2014. 2023's iteration was particularly memorable, and we're going to talk to one of the biggest uh, planners, movers, and shakers behind that promotion, Tommy Viola. He's a good dude. We'll talk to him now. Here on the show before the show podcast, we are joined by Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Tommy V, Tommy the V, Tommy Viola, uh, the vice president of communications for the Charlotte Knights, who plays a big role every season, going back to when the Charlotte Knights ballpark opened in 2014, uh, of putting together Negro League tribute nights. This year, they suited up as the Charlotte Black Hornets, uh, paying tribute to a Negro League team from Charlotte's past. Really great looking uniforms, but that's only part of what the Knights did uh, this year, which is a full weekend this year, as well as through the years going back to 2014. So we're here to talk about it. Tommy, thanks so much for being here. Well, first and foremost, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to uh, to talk to you and, and to talk about uh, this great weekend that we just had. Yeah, excellent. I want to get into the specifics of the uh, you know the Charlotte Black Hornets and those uniforms and everything you had going on. But first, just more generally speaking, this is something you have been doing. Uh, I, I still want to call the ballpark by its old name at Truest Field, uh, something you have been doing at Truest Field since 2014. And through the years, you personally have worked up a lot of connections with Negro League alumni, historians, uh, putting these things together. Uh, so if you could just talk a little bit about this, of how you first started doing it and how it's grown through the years. Yeah, absolutely. I, first, I would say it's a, it's a passion of mine, and it, it became a passion of mine when I met Eddie G.G. Burton, who was a former Negro Leagues player and who was a resident of uh, right here in Charlotte. He lived just a, uh, a couple blocks away from the ballpark. And um, right when we opened this ballpark in 2014, Eddie became a big part of it. He um, he shared his his love of baseball. He shared his days of playing in the Negro Leagues, and he just shared his knowledge with us. and And we knew it was something special, and we wanted to keep keep it going and and honor him. And we did that in our first season in 2014, and it grew every year. And uh, our 2015 celebration had uh, a, a number of former Negro Leagues players. It was the first time we introduced uh, a Negro Leagues traveling museum uh, to our fans. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Ray Banks, who was here again this year, has come here every year since 2015 to show off his Negro Leagues museum um, that he has in Baltimore. And uh, just a great part of it, the entire concourse each year is filled with the uh, artifacts and photos and, and and baseballs and different things from, from Negro Leagues baseball. Um, so... We became really passionate about it all the way back in 2014 with the help of Eddie G.G. Burton, and we continue to uh, to keep it going each and every year. Yeah, and with Eddie G.G. Burton, I believe you announced a, a scholarship in his name this year, and there's memorabilia related to him at the ballpark. Um, you know, what is it about him and his career um, and about Charlotte Negro League history and black baseball history in general, um, you know, that that really lends itself to to doing so much with these promotions? Yeah, he, you know, he really, he started us on this, like I said, in 2014, it was, it was just him. And in 2015, he brought a number of his uh, friends that were former Negro Leagues players and uh, we honored them. And then we continue to do that each and every year um, and just to keep the memory alive. And sadly, in, in 2018, Eddie passed away and we had his memorial service right here at the ballpark. And we said that day at the memorial service that his memory would would stay alive here at the ballpark, and we uh, we unveiled a wall where we honor him uh, with a plaque, photos of him in his playing days, and and photos of other former Negro League players uh, right here um, that played in Charlotte, uh, of course, with the Charlotte Black Hornets. Um, so it's become a big part of what we do each year, and this year 
um, we decided to make a whole weekend out of it. Uh, in years past, it was uh, it was on Jackie Robinson Day. Our players would wear 42 on their jerseys. We did that this year. They wore 42 on Jackie Robinson Day. And then on the next day, on April 16th, we brought out the Charlotte Black Hornets uniforms for the very first time. And, and that was special, seeing our guys wear them and uh, seeing the former Negro League player here that was here, Wally Cathcart, and uh, some of the ambassadors. Um, it was just a special day. And, you know, we have some great photos and, and video and, and memories uh, of what this past weekend was like for, uh, for a lot of fans here. Yeah, and seeing some of the reaction on social media and some of the local stories there in Charlotte, people were saying, like, this is worth the price of admission just to see this on the field, see these uniforms. They become tangible in that way. Um, but the fact that it was the Charlotte Black Hornets identity, take us through that history. I mean, who were the Charlotte Black Hornets? Where did they play? When did they play? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things I learned about when I got to Charlotte here, um, I started with the Charlotte Knights in 2012. And um, since then, I've I've loved researching about baseball history in Charlotte, and it's such a rich history. Um, the Charlotte Hornets baseball team goes back to 1892, and there's such a great history there. And then when you research and you, you look about uh, Negro Leagues baseball, there was a rich history here. There were the Charlotte Black Hornets. There were the Charlotte Red Sox. There were the Charlotte Quick Steps. And we decided to honor the Charlotte Hornets uh, this year, and and that's something we're going to continue uh, each and every year. But they were a prominent team here in Charlotte um, back in the 1910s to the 1950s. Of course, the Charlotte Hornets uh, uh, baseball team, so they were the Charlotte Black Hornets, so their name, of course, came came from that. But um, they, they played right uh, here in Charlotte, and um, we have a lot of history and a lot of memories that we've uh, looked up and found and talked to people about. But um, when we wanted to continue this night, um, we decided that this was time to, to wear the jerseys and the uniforms. And our graphic designer here, Bill Walker, put a put a great uniform together. Um, the players wore it. I think one of the really cool parts of that was uh, not only did we wear Charlotte Black Hornets uniforms, but the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp wore Jacksonville Red Caps uniforms. So it really it really went to you know just become a whole day of um, on field off the field stuff. And, and it was really special, but there's a great history of Negro Leagues baseball here in, in, in Charlotte and throughout the Carolinas. And we wanted to bring that out this uh, over the, over the weekend. Yeah. And typically players are not, you know, they get used to wearing alternate identity logos in the minor leagues. It's just part and parcel of being a minor leaguer. Um, but to wear these, I'm sure was something special. You guys featured a lot of Billy Hamilton. It's a major leaguer. A lot of people will know you know, one of the best speedsters in all of baseball, regardless of level. Uh, it seemed like he really seemed to buy in. But when you guys approached the players with, hey, this is what you guys are going to be wearing on Sunday. This is what's going to be going on. What was that interaction like? Yeah, they've really embraced it. Uh, you know, talking to Billy Hamilton, um, you know, he played for the Kansas City Royals and that uh, they wore Kansas City Monarchs uniforms at one point. So um, Billy was was all in for this. And we were excited to uh, to be able to have him he talked to a number of media members here about uh, the impact of it, and and he really embraced it. We had coaches and players and everybody just really loved putting on the uniform. And uh, like I said, it's something that we're going to continue. Um, you know, a lot of the uniforms we do, sometimes they're just a one-off, and we'll auction them off for charity. These we're going to keep, and we're going to wear again. We're actually going to be doing an HBCU night uh, in September where the players will wear these. 
and then we're going to continue it each and every year. These will be the uniforms that they'll wear. Um, and in fact, you know, going back to Billy Hamilton, but you know, when I posted that photo on social media, um, all the questions were, where can I buy that? You know, where can I get that hat? Where can I get that uniform? And um, we get people flocking to our team store um, right here at the ballpark or online. And um, we sold out of uniforms. We sold out of jersey. So it was it was um, was, was 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 pretty cool to see the um, the fans really embrace it. Tommy, from the standpoint of coming up with that identity, uh, you mentioned, you know, you've got people on staff, uh, graphic designer who put together the whole package. What was the the research like um, in order to create sort of a modernized vision of what the, the Charlotte Black Hornets would be like for this uh, this specific week? And especially knowing that you're going to keep these going forward, you had to design something that was going to be, uh, you know, would resonate for a little while. Yeah, well, one of the things, I mean, you're looking through old photos, and uh, unfortunately, there weren't a lot of old photos to look through. Uh, we did our research as, as best as we could, and, um, you know, we found uh, quite a few of old, you know, old photos online, um, but we didn't have a lot in our archives, so it was kind of, uh, it was a process that we actually started last year. We, um, right around our, our, our tribute last year, we decided that this was something we'd do in 2023, and we actually spoke with uh, our Negro Leagues historian here in Charlotte, uh, a guy by the name of Michael Webb, who has been a part of this event since 2014. And uh, he helped us do some research. And um, we think we really came up with something special. And we, we love the way they turned out. What about working with an opposing team um, to have Jacksonville take part in this? We've seen this around the minor leagues in recent years um, where it's not just something where the home team will take part uh, in a night like this to honor a, a region's history, but the, the visiting team wants to take part in it too. What are those conversations like? Uh, and how often does that happen where you guys are able to coordinate? You know, we've seen this with select Copa games across the country um, and other various throwback things, but what is that coordination process like? Yeah, I was going to say that, um, you know, in years past, we've done that um, on the road. We've done it home with the uh, Copa uniforms. We've worn our Caballeros uh, uniforms on the road uh, if another team was wearing theirs for a Copa night. So we felt like this was something, um, you know, very similar to that. And Jacksonville, they do a great job honoring the Negro Leagues as well. So I think they, you know, they bought right in and, and they were excited to to bring their uniforms to Charlotte. And it it really just helped it, it just helped bring that day together um, to see both teams. And, and we interviewed Billy Hamilton after the game. And that's exactly what he said was to, to see both teams really just embrace this and, and be out on the field wearing the uniforms. Um, it was special. It really was. Yeah. And, and um, what was, you mentioned people trying to buy this stuff, trying to, uh, you know, they want in on it in some way, but what was the, the fan reaction? Because it's one thing to get the players in on it. It's cool to get Jacksonville. The whole point is to educate fans. Do you feel like people walked away with a new understanding of the Negro Leagues, especially for you guys who have been doing this for a while? I'm sure there are repeat customers over the eight times you've done it. Like, what new stuff do you try to bring to them, at least educationally? Yeah, like I you know, from from the moment we posted the, the photo on social media and uh, one photo after the next, there were a lot of uh, a lot of fans that just, you know, how do I get my hands on these? And a lot of fire emojis and different things that people were excited about and just really loved them. So, um, you know, we did our best. We have uh, shirts and hats and the jerseys and baseballs in the team store for sale. But 
I think next time we do this, we'll, we'll probably look to get some more merchandise so that uh, more people can get it in their hands because it was uh, was really popular. And you mentioned that there were a lot of different names of Negro League teams that came through Charlotte. I mean, just the amount of different Negro Leagues is something we also know about how that worked back in the early 20th century. Is there any thought moving forward that you could change the identity every year or is it always going to be Black Hornets? No, that's a, that's a great great question. I, I think right now we'll continue with the Charlotte Black Hornets. We'll we'll hold on to these jerseys, uh, you know, for at least another season. But you're right. I mean, as I said, there's the there were the Charlotte Quick Steps, and there were the Charlotte Red Sox, and there were there were other baseball teams here in Charlotte uh, that were a part of the Negro League. So you know, I think we'd love to honor them all at some point. Um, you know, we've had uh, former players that have that have come out over the years that that played for other teams. Um, and we just want to continue to just, you know, make fans aware that there were many teams um, and, and we'd love to honor as many as we can because it, it, it was a special time. And um, it's just, a, you know, to me, it's one of my my favorite favorite nights of the year. Um, we had a gentleman here by the name of Ray Banks, who I mentioned has been here every year. And, you know, talking to him and all the the, the, the stuff that he has from his museum and all the history and all the things he's researched over the years it's um you know it's something that uh you know if you're a baseball fan um it, it, it's really great to learn that history and um it's just it was it was a great weekend really was you know i've been covering this sort of promotion for a long time and have been at various ballparks doing it and you know negro league alumni are always or always have been a big part of this type of promotion but you know now there's an special especially you know, melancholic or bittersweet element to this in that kind of like World War II veterans writ large, there are just not too many uh, Negro League alumni left. Uh, but you did have Willie Cathcart, you mentioned uh, at the ball ballgame, uh, especially now that that there are very few living links to this history. What does it mean to have somebody like him? Yeah, he was great. You know, he he's been coming out since 2015. He's a Rock Hill, South Carolina native, so he he doesn't live too far from the ballpark. So we're really um, just so honored to have him here each year. And and you're right. You know, sadly, um, unfortunately, there's there's not a lot of these uh, legends left. And you know, in 2015, uh, we had five New Leagues players here to honor. And over the years, unfortunately, um, and we we had a moment of silence at this year's game for for the ones that had joined us in the years past that, that we've sadly lost. And just a few days ago, um, Larry Legrand, who was here last year, was a was a Negro Leagues legend. He caught Satchel Paige, and he he drove here last year from Virginia. Was here. We honored him last year, and and sadly he passed away just a couple of days before this year's tribute. So you're right. It's it, you know it's an it it. And that's why we try to keep their memory alive. And that's why we continue to honor these legends because, um, you know, sadly, and even while, you know, Wally Cathcart is, you know, his mid eighties. So um, it's, 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 it's a time right now where, you know, there's not a lot of these guys left. So we, we're doing what we can to just keep their legacy alive. Yeah. And as time goes on, it makes us work that much more important to uh, collect these stories, to know these people and keep passing it on. And so look to the Charlotte Knights for a great example of, you know, minor league teams doing tribute weekends and exploring history. And um, just like everything with baseball history, it's such a uh, rich topic when you really start to dig into it. So I'm sure we can look for much more from the Charlotte Knights and, uh, you know, teams throughout baseball for years to come. 
But Tommy, thanks for your work uh, on what you've done over the last decade or so with Negro League Tribute Weekends. And uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate it. Let's get you out to Charlotte one of these days soon, please. <laughs> yeah, it's been a few years. It's been a few years with just about everywhere, but uh, always enjoy that. And of course, you can't talk about truest field <laughs> without talking about the view. So if anyone hasn't been out there, one of the most beautiful ballparks in the minor league baseball. Tommy, if you follow him on Twitter, it is at, at Tommy, Tommy the V. Is that what it is? Well, I mean, it's Tommy underscore. Underscore. Underscore, yeah. underscore V. Yeah. But, hey, you know, it's it, it's to say it's close. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just bring that up. You know, you're, you're posting photos from your office quite a bit. And uh, very, very few office views better than the one you have. <laughs> and that people in Charlotte who work for the Knights enjoy. Um so get out to Charlotte and try to visit a future Negro League Tribute weekend. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once tried to fill the stands. The others never even took the field. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Fort Collins Loveland Lovebirds. B. The Champagne Urbana Lincoln Lawyers. C. The Bisbee Douglas Copper Kings. You showed your medal if you picked C. The Bisbee Douglas Copper Kings who reigned as representatives of the cities of Cochise County in southeastern Arizona through seven seasons in the middle of the 20th century. Competing across iterations of multiple leagues during their tenure, the Copper Kings played practically everywhere the light touches. They had a home ballpark in Bisbee and another one about 30 miles away in Douglas. Copper was king in both places and all over the land of the Copper Kings. The Copper Kings first broke ground in the Arizona-Texas League of 1949, having played on that circuit the previous year as the Bisbee-Douglas Miners. Those Miners had been in the Miners in 47, not as the Miners, but as a name derived from an affiliation with a team in the Majors, the Bisbee Yanks. But after two seasons in 49, they took on the identity that was neither the Miners nor Majors influenced, the Copper Kings who were subject to no far-off big league parent club that year, but existed as sovereigns. The 49 season was hardly a crowning achievement for the Copper Kings, though, as despite outfielder Gene Kloss taking the title of Arizona-Texas Sultan of Swat with a circuit-best 37 homers, they went 66-83 and, and passed through the dominion of three managers. 
Elmer Williamson, Paul Jones, and Buck Elliott. Elliott, a decent hitter who turned 30 in the fall of 39 and had spent nearly five prime playing years in the U.S. Army Air Corps during World War II, was dethroned that year only by the calendar and returned helm Bisbee Douglas again in 50 as the club established a working agreement with the Brooklyn Dodgers. They made the playoffs, but the El Paso Texans extracted the Copper Kings from the postseason in the first round. In 51, the Copper Kings copped to it being time to try a new league, the Southwest International League, and so began the dynasty of Sid Cohen, a Baltimore-born Southpaw who pitched for the Washington Senators during three big league seasons in the 30s, Cohen logged over 20 years as a player in the minors, debuting as an outfielder right there in Bisbee with the 1928 Bs of the old Arizona State League, and was in his fourth year managing when his reign with the Copper Kings began. From 51 to 53, Cohen's Copper Kings couldn't get very far, except for back to the Arizona-Texas League starting in 52, and that became the Arizona-Mexico League for 55. By the next year, the royal couple of Bisbee-Douglas broke up, leaving only the Douglas Copper Kings, and the whole circuit split up at the end of 58. But in the Arizona-Mexico League's final year, guess who won it all? And that's how the Bisbee-Douglas Copper Kings died on the throne. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these internationally inspired teams could really ball in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Moscow Timberwolves B. The Monterey Bulls C. The Paris Lakers Want to know the answer? Take a shot. Or tune in to the next Ghost of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill wants me to cut a record, and I've got to find my scissors. One little kiss and Felina Well, the big thanks uh, to Tommy Viola from Charlotte, as well as to our very own alliterative named Josh Jackson, who is poised for a breakout season in 2023. Um, this year, we're already seeing some breakout seasons. Sam, you wanted to highlight some of the uh, prospects who are already making waves across minor league baseball, and they don't even have to have the same first and last initials. They can, obviously. It seems to bode well, be a good predictor of success, but uh, give us the lowdown. Well, I want to mention Mason Miller and Brett Beatty, who I brought up at the beginning of the show, not because they have the alliterative names, although that was purely a coincidence, uh, but because both of those guys got called up to the major leagues since we recorded a show last week. Mason Miller made his debut earlier this week for the Oakland Athletics. A's have had a terrible pitching staff to begin the year. They've had a difficult roster to begin with, but starting pitching has been really hard to come by. But Mason Miller making his debut was really notable to me because he's had a long road to get here, even though he's only a third-round pick in 2021, already making the major leagues. It's a guy who was diagnosed with diabetes in 2018. He was only weighing around 150 pounds at the time, found a diet that helped him bulk up to 220 pounds. Uh, he went to Gardner-Webb in 2021, had some good numbers there, but then had a scapula strain in his right shoulder that kept him out until August last year. He just really did not have innings in the minor leagues. I mean, he has 28 and two-thirds before he made the major his major league debut. But his fastball instantly became maybe the best on the A's and one of the best in the majors. He was averaging 100 miles an hour on his fastball last week during his lone start at AAA Vegas. He was, again, throwing multiple pitches that were 
at triple digits uh, yesterday, well, Wednesday when you guys are hearing this, um, in his debut with the A's. Just a really special debut for that guy. And hopefully, you know, A's fans can use as much optimism as they can get right now. Mason Miller, their number three prospect debuting, should provide some of that, we hope. The other one was Brett Beatty, uh, who I mentioned Mason Miller was averaging 100 miles an hour on his four-seam fastball in the minor leagues. Brett Beatty was averaging 100 miles an hour exit velocity, which was the highest among AAA uh, qualifiers at the time of his promotion to the Mets. I've said it for a while. I think he should have been on the opening day roster for the Mets. I know Eduardo Escobar is there. He's somebody they signed. Um, as a veteran presence, you want to give him as many chances as possible. But Brett Beatty just hits the ball so hard. He started to elevate it more last year, allowed those slugging numbers to jump between double-A and triple-A. Already made his major league debut in 2022. It was just a thumb injury that limited him. He didn't play much after that. This year, the thumb had healed. He's back to playing third base. Outfield is out of the question. After Carlos Correa failed to sign, felt like his job to win. I thought he won it out of spring. Didn't, got sent back Syracuse. Was slugging above 700 again, doing everything we thought Brett Beatty could be, and now he's in Queens. Um, so we'd love to see him get more opportunities. It seems like Buck Showalter and New York Brass aren't playing prospects as much as you would think, even when they're on the major league roster. Um, thinking of Francisco Alvarez, who somehow is not their starting catcher and not getting the reps he needs. But those two guys being on that lineup or being options for the Mets is a big boost because we think highly of both of those guys and think they could certainly be regulars now, if if not now, by the middle of the season because their ceilings are so high. So excited to see Mason Miller and Brett Beatty translate early AAA results into major league debuts or reappearances, um, and we'll see who's coming around the corner you know, here as we get into late April and early May. All right, Sam, we got another packed weekend of minor league baseball coverage, MILB.TV, and of course now through the MLB app uh, and or the MLB at bat content, uh, we are headed into really the start of um, the regular rotation of a season. You get those first few series out of the way, and then you're into the methodical uh, rhythm of a full minor league season. Give me what you're watching this week on uh, the minor league landscape, where you're headed, and uh, what fans should be on the lookout for. Yeah, I mean, this is one game I will not necessarily be watching because I will be there. I am heading next week to Amarillo, Texas. I'm heading to Hodgetown, all capital letters, uh, to see the Sod Poodles take on the Frisco Rough Riders, who over at MLB Pipeline we thought was the most loaded roster in minor league baseball. So it's really fortuitous to see both of those teams playing together. I will be there for the Pipeline Game of the Month. Um, we'll be providing all sorts of content, both on the MILB and MLB Pipeline social feeds, as well as making that uh, Thursday game next week between Amarillo and Frisco will be the game of the month. It'll be a free game. Be sure to stream that. Frisco has big names. Evan Carter is off to a great start, one of the best eyes in the minor leagues. Luis Angel Acuna uh, is a really special talent on the infield. The Sodfools aren't low on talent either. Jordan Lawler is a top 15 prospect in baseball and off to a pretty solid start. Davidson De Los Santos has the most raw power in the D-back system. Um, A.J. Vukovic is off to a good start there for that D-backs double-A affiliate. Uh, so that'll be a really fun game to see in person. Amarillo, for those of you who don't know, is maybe the most hitter-friendly ballpark in minor league baseball. There's a very real chance we could see a game go 16-14. to 14. Uh, So I'll be the, out there for two games next week, but it's Thursday. That'll be the pipeline game of the month, so I hope everybody tunes in for that. I'll be in the booth for a few innings at least 
Um, so, you know, tune in, say hi, ask some questions. Hopefully I can answer them on air. Uh, but that'll be what I'm doing next week. Tyler, what are you looking at for MILB TV games? So there is a free MILB TV matchup coming up on Friday. So the evening when you hear this episode of the podcast, Reading against Portland. So that's the Philadelphia Phillies, double-A affiliate against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Mick Abel, who was the 15th overall pick back in 2020, that weird shortened four-round 2020 draft, uh, he made his way uh, two double A last year toward the end of the season. Now he's a top 45 ish prospect. He's number 42 overall. Uh, and he will go against the uh, Portland Sea Dogs coming up that night. Uh, Sedan Rafaela will be on that squad on the opposite side for Portland. Uh, Rafaela is the fifth ranked Red Sox prospect. He's a top 80 prospect overall uh, in minor league baseball as well. He's number 79 uh, in the top 100 and uh, a good matchup, one of many. You can find all of the free minor league baseball games of the week at MLB.com slash pipeline, of course. And uh, a lot of good stuff coming up this week on not only the minor league side, but of course the major league side as well. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the show before the show. I'm going to go try to whip up some, uh, you know, dill pickle dogs or I'm going to stuff one meat substance into another meat substance. Ben, if you figure out what Philly meat is, please uh, give me a call. Let me know. I'm going to do a wide ranging, uh, comprehensive investigation. You're in New York City. I feel like you could just go to a butcher and ask for Philly meat and see what they give you. That is true. Do butchers only exist in New York City? I mean, you yeah, live in I mean, like, yeah, we don't really have like butchers. There's like a butcher section. I mean, obviously there are some butchers here, but like New York is still, you can walk down the block and there's the butcher, you know, like that's a lot more common it's true. out that there's way a, than it is out here. There, I have a neighborhood butcher for sure. Yeah. Um, but if I ask for Philly meat, I'm afraid they'd be like, no, oh, we don't serve horse. <laughs> You want a young, a young female horse? The meat—that's terrible. What are you? What's get, wrong with you? Get out of here! Among the arbitrary distinctions we make between what we consume and do not consume, that one crosses the line. <laughs> My friend Jay Riemann Schneider eats horse all the time. He gets it from his butcher. Um, one of the more random Kramer quotes I think I've ever thrown into this show. Uh, well, that'll do it for this week's episode <laughs> of the show. Before the show, don't eat horses, and uh, you can get in touch with us. Podcast at milb.com at Ben's Biz at Sam Dykstra milb at Tyler Mon at Josh Jackson milb. If you want to tell Josh that he's poised for his breakout year, and for those guys, my. My name is Tyler. We'll talk to you next week.